as human beings, we're constantly impacted by so much input through our senses. Yeah, so right in this moment, if we just open to that, there's so much input through the eyes, through the ears, the touch, the smell, the taste, and the mind. And one of the wonderful things that the mind does is that it's able to filter, to make sense of all that stimuli that is constantly, constantly being inputted. And one of the primary ways that the mind does that, filters, is through paying attention. Yeah, paying attention to some things in particular. And this can happen consciously and intentionally. Yeah, we consciously and intentionally choose to pay attention to something in particular. Like right now you are making a choice to pay attention to my voice. And it also happens unconsciously and unintentionally. Yeah, through habit. So for example, we have the habit to pay attention to our thoughts more than to our body sensations, as we've been experiencing <laughs> over the last few days. Yeah. So we make the intention to pay attention to the breath or the body or the Vedana, and the habit is, can be, well, is for all of us, to pay attention to the thoughts. So I'd like to, to speak more about this, about this, the, the way we pay attention, yeah, and what, um, how that affects experience. So whatever we're paying attention to comes into the foreground. That's what we see. That's what we perceive. And other things that we're not paying attention to go into the background. And they can go into the background so much that they disappear. It's as if they don't exist. And again, just in our experience in these days here, yeah, there can be a feeling of like, you know, the, the thoughts, yeah, or this particular body sensation. You know, that's what keeps happening. And other things that are equally there disappear. They don't seem to exist. Are we in agreement so far? Yeah? Okay. This is really, um, really interesting. Very, very interesting. It's so interesting, um, this movement of attention and perception that um, there's been a lot of research done about it as well as a lot of meditation <laughs> hours clocked um, in, in exploring this and understanding this. And one particular uh, experiment which I'm 
really um, kind of loving in the last few months. So it's featured in quite a few of the talks I've given, and I think there's at least two people in the hall who've heard this before. Um, So one particular experiment that was done in the mid-90s, I think, in Harvard, um, was as follows. I'll describe it. So people were put in front of a screen, and on the screen there was a video. And in this video, they were told in advance, in this video you're going to watch um, six people divided into two teams. Some people are smiling, they know the experiment. Divided into two teams of three. One team is going to wear black T-shirts and the other team is going to wear white T-shirts. And the two teams are going to be passing a basketball between the players of the, of the same team. That's what they're doing. And what you're doing as a person watching this video is you need to count how many, how many times the players in white pass the basketball between them. Okay? So that's, that's what people were asked to do. Sounds pretty simple, right? So people sat there and paid attention to the players in the white T-shirts and the basketball passing between them. And at the end of, you know, that few-minute video, I don't remember how long it is, they were asked, how many times did you, uh, how many times did the ball pass between the players in the white? And, you know, they um, tapped in their, their answer, whatever that was. Um, and then they were asked, did you see the gorilla? And um, I, I don't remember the statistics, but something, 80 or 90% of people did not see the gorilla. So then um, they play the video again, yeah? So you press play again and you watch the same video again. It's not a different video. It's the same video again. And now you know that there's a gorilla in the, in the video. So you watch it. I, I mean, I did this, so you, you can do it. You probably couldn't do, do it now because I told you, but you, it, it's still worth doing. Um, so I did this myself, and this happened to me. I didn't see the gorilla. Then I watched it again. And um, when I watched it again, about halfway through, I think, or kind of somewhere quite you know, prominently in the, in the time frame of the video, somebody dressed as a gorilla um, walks in and stands in the middle of this group of people that are throwing the basketball and does something like this, you know, and some kind of shout and then walks off the screen again. Okay, so it's a pretty um, unusual thing to happen, yeah, in the middle of a group of people that are throwing a ball around, and yet 80 to 90% of people do not see that. Do not see that. It does, you know, does not clock. And there's not even, you know, speaking for myself, there's not even a sense of, oh, yeah, I remember that now, you know, or something familiar. It's like... What? <laughs> yeah. So the reason I love this um, experiment because, is because um, it's such a striking example of how a perception works yeah, in relation to attention. So when we pay attention to something, that is what we perceive. And if we're paying attention to something and we're perceiving that, there's other things that we're not paying attention to that we are not perceiving. 
Yeah. And this does not only happen in this, you know, it's not, they didn't do something special in that gorilla experiment that makes us not notice. Yeah. The brilliancy of this experiment is that it actually shows us something that is happening all the time. Yeah. That this is the way the mind operates. So we could say attention affects perception. Yeah. Attention affects perception. So this is important to us because it wakes us up. Yeah, it wakes us up to the fact that what we perceive is not the full picture. Yeah, it's not absolute. Yeah. What we perceive is shaped, fabricated, by different conditions, including some conditions that are in the mind, like attention. Yeah. And the kind of, you know, really helpful thing here is to just, what would it mean for our lives if we remembered that what we're perceiving is not objective reality, yeah? Is not neutral, yeah? Is not the truth with two capital T's, yeah? What we're perceiving is fabricated. It's conditioned. (coughs) It's made up, constructed. And we are not aware. Yeah, so in this example, what we were paying attention to was um, we were aware of that, yeah? It was conscious, paying attention to the basketball players. Yeah. What we're not aware of, a lot of the time, what is shaping our attention, attention, what is impacting our attention are habits of attention that we're not aware of, that we're not conscious of. And these can be views, expectations, um, mind states, yeah, that are all affecting attention and perception. And through attention and perception, they're affecting what we experience. Which then impacts our actions, yeah, our speech, our choices. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's huge, actually. Hopefully not too depressing. So I want to give another example of this, um, another one of... of my favorite stories, recent stories. Um, so this happened, started happening in the 50s in the US um, when it was noted that um, in philharmonic orchestras, most of the musicians were male. Yeah, most of the musicians were men. And the question arose, you know, why is that? Because there were men and women going to the auditions to, for the role of musicians and, and in the orchestras, and it was the men that were predominantly um, getting through. 
And so when the people doing the additions were asked, you know, why are you picking the men? So the answer was very politically correct, even in the 50s. Men tend to play music in a way that's more suitable for an orchestra. Yeah. That was the that was the um, that was the response. Yeah. So that and, and and it was genuine. You know, there was no sense of oh, we're discriminating in any way. So, one orchestra, I think it was Boston, decided to start having auditions where the musicians were behind a screen. They weren't visible to um, the people who were auditioning them. And initially, more women were getting through, but not to the degree that they thought they should. Yeah? So still, what's going on here? So then they, they, they decided to um, ask the musicians who were auditioning to take their shoes off <laughs> before they walked onto the stage. So, here are the musicians taking their shoes off, walking barefoot behind the screen, playing their piece of music, and the people auditioning are evaluating, you know, and there's three different steps. And I think this increased the chance of a woman getting through by 30%. Yeah, so what was happening... um, I would have never thought of it, but the reason they asked people to take their shoes off was the sound of the heels. Yeah, most women wore high heels, and the clickety clack um, gave away that that was a woman. And I'm pretty sure that if the people doing the audition, the people who were um, conducting the auditions, if they had been asked, they probably wouldn't even know that they'd heard the sound of heels. Yes, again, unconscious. Yeah, unconscious, in this case, unconscious bias. Yeah, genuinely not aware yeah, of, you know, I have a bias towards men rather than women as musicians in the orchestra. I have that bias. So... I want to break this down, just kind of pull out two threads from this example. So there's at least two things. These are just things that I've picked out. There's probably a lot more going on. One is um, an underlying view, yeah, that male musicians are more suitable to an orchestra. Yeah, there's that underlying view. And then there's an underlying habit of attention, which is to take note of gender. Yeah, in some way. Yeah, I mean, that's a habit of attention, right? We notice people's gender. We can't control it. Yeah. It's a habit of attention. It's something that, that we notice. And then the two come together and impact how the music is perceived. Yeah? The two come together and impact how the music is perceived. This musician is... Suitable, more suitable than this one for the orchestra. Yeah, there's two things come together. So an unconscious bias, unconscious habits of attention that are there, and then they feed themselves, yeah? Because if there's a majority of, me- of men then being picked to play in the orchestra, 
yeah, then that feeds that bias that men are more suitable, right? It, it confirms it. Yeah? And if you come to watch an orchestra and you see that most people are men, it confirms it within us. So this reinforces the view for the individual, it reinforces the view for society as well. Yeah? So it really has an impact, really has an impact. So how is this relevant to what we're doing here? You know, we've gone off you know, to Harvard to look at gorillas and to Boston, to audition musicians, you know, how is that relevant to, to what we're doing here? Predominantly, I've already said it, but I'll probably keep saying it quite a few times in this talk, it's relevant because it really highlights for us how things that we take to be a certain way are not necessarily so, Yeah. That our perception itself, our attention itself, yeah, is not neutral, is not objective. So that means that what we hear, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we feel, what we think, yeah, is not neutral, is not objective. And it also means that the phenomena that we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we feel and we think is not neutral and objective in the way we take it to be. Does that make sense to people so far? Yeah, good. So another way of saying that is that it's all fabricated. Yeah. Like we've said, fabricated means it's put together. Created out of conditions. And one of the conditions or some of the conditions are in the mind. Yeah? So what we perceive, our attention, our perception, and what we perceive is not separate from the mind. It's not separate from the mind. And another way of saying this is that there's always a way of looking that is shaping our perception of experience and therefore shaping experience itself. There's always a way of looking that is shaping our perception of experience and is therefore shaping experience itself. And the mind itself is fabricated. <laughs> yeah. So we keep referring to the mind, but the mind itself is also fabricated. The mind itself is also conditioned. by countless conditions, shaped by our history, by our tendencies, by our habits, by our genetics, by our mind states that are at play in a particular moment, by our intentions, just like we said at the beginning, an intention to pay attention to something. It's also shaped by the state of our body. Am I hungry? Am I overfull? Yeah. Am I tired? Am I, you know, full of beans? Literally or not? <laughs> yeah. It all shapes. It all affects the mind. The weather. Yeah. The environment we're in. 
Yeah, it's endless. Yeah, countless and countless conditions. So, I want to just say a little bit more about this word fabrication because we've been using it a lot, and we'll probably continue to use it a lot. Um, and I just wanted to to share um, the translation of the Pali. Uh, from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's one of our present-day um, great translators of the Pali. Um, and he translates the Pali word, which is sankara, which you don't need to remember. Um, so he, da- he translates it by dividing it into two parts. The first one is, is uh, the S-A-N, uh, which comes from the root Sam, S-A-M, which means together, like con in Latin, C-O-N, yeah, together. And the, the, the kara is from the verb, um, which means to make, yeah. So this means that sankara are things that are made together or put together or constructed, it's another word, compounded, And they're also the things that put things together and construct them and compound them. Because in Pali, in this particular um, form of the noun, it's both the active and the passive. Yeah. So fabrication is both, we could say, to fabricate and to be fabricated. Yeah. So it's both the... And if, if it feels too kind of for your poor little minds who are very calm and steady and quiet at this moment, then forget it. But for some people, it might be interesting to, to see that. So the word sankara, fabrication in Pali, is both an active and a passive. Yeah, this is the important thing. So when we speak about fabrication, we're talking both about the things that the... Um, Losing words. The components of that which becomes fabricated, yeah, the, talking both about the components of that which is, is constructed or fabricated and the fabrication itself, that which is fabricated. Yeah? Does this make sense to some people at least? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not crucial. It's just interesting. So there's a beautiful um, little snippet in in the text which I love which is something like um, all things are fabricated from fabricated things (laughs) so it's a bit of like like you can do it as a tongue twister if you like but I just love that and it maybe says it much clearer than this you know trying to translate the Pali word all things are fabricated from fabricated things and so we can really like in my Mind, it's always the sense of like, you know, things are built up on other things and everything is built up on other things and we cannot find a beginning or an end to that. So what does this mean for us again? Beyond um, maybe getting a little bit of a headache, um, but possibly also for some of us getting a sense of some kind of sense of awe, yeah, which is for me what happens when I when I think about this. I kind of like a wow. 
Yeah. Wow. And that sense, um, I'll just go with my own sense of awe for a moment, of, of just how amazing it was that, you know, nowadays we have Harvard and, um, you know, all these researchers doing all this research, and yet the Buddha and others were able to see this just through observing the mind, which is what we're doing here. Yeah. So that that capacity is in us, you know, just through observing the mind, we can see these levels of intricacy of experience. So in one word, what this means for us um, in our practice, in our lives, is possibility. Yeah, it means possibility. And I'll say this in a lot more words so that you don't just have to stay with that one. Yeah, and trust me when I say that it means possibility, but actually hopefully get a sense for yourself. So we're saying that everything is fabricated, yeah, and that the mind plays a role in this process of fabrication. And we're saying that there's a way of looking present that affects what we perceive, that affects fabrication. Yeah, that way of looking uh, or ways of looking can be more than one, but we're simplifying. Yeah, can be a mind state, can be a physical state, can be a view, can be an expectation, can be a habit, can be a genetic tendency, can be a body state, you know, can be all of these things. So everything is fabricated and the mind plays a role in the process of fabrication. Another way of saying that, there's always ways of looking that are present. And these ways of looking themselves are fabricated. This means that the way we attend to experience, the way we relate to experience, and how we incline the mind can both affect how we experience this moment. It affects fabrication in this moment. And it also affects what our habits of mind and our habits of fabrication will become over time. That's a lot of possibility. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of possibility. And it's also a lot to possibly take in. (laughs) So I'm going to give some examples. Yeah. Kind of, this time not from research, but from the meditation cushion. But before that, I just, I'm just going to say it in another way. Break it down into another way. If I know that my perception is not neutral or objective, yeah. if I know that, and if I remind myself of that, whatever is going on now which feels... 100% real and solid yeah, is a fabrication. It's not an objective reality. Yeah? Whatever it is that I'm experiencing in this moment. So I know it's not neutral and I know that what I'm experiencing is affected by many conditions including the way of looking that is present right now. This allows me 
to not take things as real and serious as I tend to do. Yeah, not take things as real and as serious as I tend to do. It creates more perspective and space. It reduces the suffering in our lives greatly. And it opens up possibilities of attending to what is present. If this is not permanent, if this is not unchanging, yeah, if this is not absolute, if this is fabricated and conditioned, how can I attend, respond, incline the mind differently than I'm doing right now? differently than I'm doing right now. And if we go back to the example that I used just at the beginning, yeah, if I am having a, a meditation session or a day where the mind is really busy, yeah, and whatever I do, the thoughts just keep coming back. Yeah, whatever I do. And I... Remember that this too is fabricated. Yeah, this is the habit of attention. It's going to the thinking for whatever reason, for whatever conditions. I remember that. Could that help me to take it less personally? If I remember that? Could that help me um, notice more? the times when the mind is not absorbed into the thinking or poured into the thinking? Could that support me to have more um, restfulness into the body or sound or meta practice, something else? Do you see that? Yeah. So that's one example. Another example can be um, noticing that there's a negative mind state at play at the moment. Yeah, it can just be, you know, through the the thinking or the judgment, um, or, you know, we might notice it when we, you know, come to to tea and it's like, ah, soup again. You know, (laughs) whatever, it's like, ah, I love soup, what's going on? Ah, it's a negative mind state, you know. So we notice, yeah, there's a negative mind state there. And it's kind of like, oh, soup, you know. Sorry, Linda and Simon. Nothing, nothing personal. Not, not, uh, not my personal experience. Just an example. So there might be this sense of, ah, you know, soup again. Uh, you know. And what else? Toast. Rice crackers, jam. Had too much of that already, and it's only day four, you know. So we watch that, you know, and that's shaping, you know, shaping the experience, right? And it feeds itself. I notice that. I notice that's happening. And I realize this is a negative mind state that's shaping the experience, that's affecting perception.
What if I try, this isn't easy, <laughs> what if I try to open to something I appreciate right now in this moment? Yeah. Anything, doesn't have to do with the food. Anything that I appreciate in this moment. If I open to gratitude, even for a moment, that can shift experience. Yeah, it can change because we're looking. We, there's another way of looking then, active. Yeah. Instead of the negative mind state, I'm looking even for a moment through gratitude or through appreciation. Yeah, even for a moment. What we're doing in our practice is we're noticing. Yeah, we're noticing the mind state. We're noticing what else is possible. And then we're noticing the effect of that change. Yeah? Has that made an impact, even for a moment, on my experience? Even for a moment. And if it has, can I digest that? Yeah? Can I really take time and feel that, integrate that? Yeah? Digest the not soup. <laughs> yeah. Can I digest that change in experience from that doom and gloom? Yeah, of I don't like this to something that I appreciate even for a moment. Feel that difference. Because when I do that, it changes the experience in the moment, maybe just for a moment, maybe for longer. Yeah, sometimes it can completely um, shift us out of some loop that we're in. And even more, we're rewiring um, the brain. Yeah? We're changing the habits of the mind over time. Yeah? Every time we do that, every time we come back from distraction to the body or to the Vedana, yeah? we're changing the habits of the mind. And we're cultivating wholesome habits and kind of wholesome default settings. Yeah? We have these default settings you know, of what we pay attention to, of what our mind states are. Yeah? The ones we naturally fall into. And so we're reshaping that over time. We're cultivating wholesome habits and default settings of the, of the mind. And over time, changing what the prevailing ways of looking are. And so it's the same process, yeah? We can, we've also been doing it with pain, right? What happens when there's pain in the body and we bring interest, yeah? It's the same kind of process. Instead of the habitual way of pushing away and resisting, we're bringing in a different way of looking to the experience. And as people here have experienced, have uh, know for, for themselves over the days, that can really shift yeah, it can really change. Or what we've been doing today, yeah, attending to the Vedana as a way of looking, looking at the Vedana instead of the escalation. So this relates back to... Um, 
the four efforts that Nathan was speaking about yesterday. And I just kind of, because it relates, I just want to tie it to that, yeah, to make that connection. When we notice the wholesome, yeah, wholesome states of mind, and we stay with them and explore the impact they have, this helps to sustain present wholesome states of mind and to nourish the future arising of wholesome states of mind. Yeah. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. And similarly, when we notice unwholesome, yeah, the unwholesome states of mind and what their impacts are, and then we bring in the intention to tune into the wholesome yeah, as a response, we are weakening the roots of the unwholesome and we're changing the conditions so that the, the seeds of future unwholesome states are less likely to, to take root and to sprout. So a lot of what we're doing here, a lot of the training here is um, a training in cultivation, yeah? Cultivation of ways of looking that are wholesome. Yeah, ways of looking that are wholesome, that bring less dukkha and more ease and well-being to ourselves and others. And we've already been doing this, yeah? When we're bringing attention to the pleasant breath, um, or to Vedana, or we're bringing interest to experience. See, all of these are wholesome ways of looking. Metta, patience, generosity. Yeah, all of these are things that we've been mentioning and that we're cultivating through the practice here. And we're still on day four, so I can continue to say this. I think I've said this almost every time I've spoken. We're going to continue and explore this over the days. <laughs> I wonder what I'm going to say on day nine. <laughs> won't be able to use that line anymore. Yeah, But we are going to continue and explore this a lot over the days. This, all of this, recognizing what is present, yeah? what is affecting experience right now. Yeah? Noticing what my possibilities are. What can I bring in? Yeah? And then noticing the impact that that has. Yeah, we're going to do a lot of that over the days. And we're particularly going to look at some of the really strong underlying assumptions that we have about life and about experience and about phenomena. Yeah, some of the very strong, very underlying assumptions that we have, which... Um, we're lucky that most of these teachings come from a time where people didn't write things down so they kept them quite um, short (laughs) and to the point, unlike me Um, and so some of these strong underlying assumptions that are at the roots of a lot of the suffering that we experience yeah, and In the tradition, there's three of these, and we'll be looking at them over the days. The first one, the first assumption that we we make, and it doesn't matter if we believe this or not, but if we look at our own experience, we can see that we act as if we believe this. It's an underlying assumption. And the first one is that things are permanent and unchanging. 
that things are, un- that are permanent and unchanging. Yeah? This body shouldn't get sick, for example. should remain healthy. Yeah? This mind state, oh God, you know, it's gonna, I'm going to be stuck with this for the rest of my life. You know? We know this, right? We make that assumption. Yeah? Soup for tea, you know, I'm going to have this every, every evening at 5.30. <laughs> from now from now <laughs> till the end of time yeah you know it, you know it all you know we we really believe in the moment this is permanent yeah this is permanent this is not going to change yeah and how much of our suffering is embroiled in that the second kind of core assumption that we make is that the dukkha, the suffering, or the sukha, the happiness, are in the object, yeah, are in the object. And the object can be a sensation, it can be a situation, it can be a mind state, it can be a thing, yeah. But it's in that object. Or another way of saying that is that objects, including people and internal states, can give us permanent and lasting satisfaction. Or permanent and lasting dissatisfaction (laughs) yeah so we take that yeah we take that to be true and real yeah it's it's, this is you know our human condition and i'm not saying these things and and they're not taught as a way of feeling bad about ourselves they're taught as doorways to understanding if we understand what our assumptions are then we can wake up yeah, then we can wake up. And the third assumptions that, assumption that we make is that, is that things, including this thing, yeah, ourself, have a separate and inherent existence, yeah, are not conditioned, are not subject to fabrication, yeah, are not dependent on anything else, but exist from their own side. Yeah. So these are three core assumptions that we make. And again, like I said, you know, for so, for some of us here in the hall, you know, it's far from being the first time we've heard this, right? <laughs> and we know it and we've applied it, and yet, yeah, it's so strong. And it's more and more subtle. So it's worth um just to come back to acknowledging that, to come back to acknowledging and to explore how we can work with these as actual ways of looking. Yeah? See them as ways of looking that are impacting experience, which means that they are changeable. Yeah? means that they are changeable. So here comes the teaser. Over the next days, we will be using them, or their opposites, as ways of looking. What does experience look like if I intentionally see it as impermanent and changing? How does that affect experience? We'll see tomorrow.
So without closing the eyes, without doing anything in particular, I just want to invite us to just sit for a moment and just feel where we are with all of this. Yeah, just to feel. It can bring up all kinds of things and it can be worthwhile to just feel what is coming up in response. Maybe agreement, disagreement, disgruntlement, joy, excitement, apprehension, boredom, the whole spectrum. Just feeling, what, what does it mean to me? And I just want to highlight that sometimes these teachings can be heard as, how should I say this? Not honoring uh, the difficulties that we have in life or... um, putting too much a sense of responsibility, you know, as if we are creating our experience. And so if that is, if that is there to some degree, to really hold it with a lot of compassion. And remember, these teachings are about conditionality. The mind is only one set of conditions that are at play. Yeah, only one set of conditions that are at play. And so the mind is what we can, um, what we're here to explore and to understand and to work with. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that that's the only response we can we can have to things just to really kind of put it out there so we have time for a question or maybe two depending yes John the sacred teachings of Buddhism that you expound. Mm-hmm. Are they permanent? <laughs> <laughs> are, mm-hmm. they empty? Mm-hmm. are they permanent or are they empty? They're empty. They definitely empty. <laughs> As you know. <laughs> your, your, smile, your smile says it, yeah. I think actually one of the most beautiful things about Dharma teachings for me is that certainly the way I've received them from my teachers is as empty, um, not as a dogma, not as an absolute, but as something um, to, that is dynamic, that is alive, and that is with a real emphasis on our own experience. 
Yeah, and thanks for saying that because I would definitely have usually said that and I don't think I said today. This is not something to take on as a belief system. This is something to apply in your own experience and see, yeah, if it's true for you or not in your own experience and in what way. Yeah, and this is why we're not just, um, you know, we're not just interested in talking about it, but actually in practicing it, because in practice we can see. Yeah, what, what, how does this look in my own experience? Yeah. Are the teachings fabricated then? <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, um, yeah, we can get, you know, this can get very deep and subtle, but um, what was I going to say? The, when, when the, the state of wakefulness or awakening that someone like the Buddha reached um, is described always in the negative because it's not possible to describe it in, in language. But one of the ways it's described, one of the ways realization or very deep understanding is described is unfabricated. So another way we can say this is that all the teachings are pointing us, they're like maps or um, supports for us to find our way to that which could not be actually explained in language. Yeah, so it's one of the, yeah, so one of the ways, yeah, that state beyond... Yeah, fabrication, the unfabricated. Nirvana is one, one of the ways it's spoken of as unfabricated. Deathless. It's another one. Yeah. Time for another one if anyone's got something. I just wanted to say um, what you said at the end about. Um, kind of take it lightly mm. um, because the mind is just one thing mm. um, and it feels like yeah it's, it, um, something about how the work we're doing around self-compassion meta is is just so core to mm. this yeah because it's like, bazing, like, oh, I missed, oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh I missed that, I could, mm. I could have done that, yeah, mm. it's gone, next time, next time, next time. Mm. And so it's just like, whoa, it's, it's got to be so much, got to be, got to be, but you know, it's, it's so important to, to really have this, uh, this, um, to nourish mm. self-compassion, because otherwise... Like well, there's brick wall, you know, mm. head. <laughs> yeah, because there's there's countless opportunities aren't there to um, to notice and to, to do something different, which is great. Yeah, you know that's that's fantastic. But then equally, because there are so many, that could also be an unraveling, couldn't it? I yeah, yeah. So to really, um, yeah, it's a great point. And I think if we can really connect 
as much as we can. You know, these teachings are, they're soaked and steeped in love. Yeah, and in compassion. And if we can really connect to that, yeah, this is a teaching to free us from suffering, not to, not to cause more suffering. Yeah, this is what it's there for. And, and also, you know, every moment that we see, yeah, or every moment that we, we bring self-compassion or metta or that we see what is going on, that's a moment of change. That's a moment of change. Yeah. It's a moment where that momentum is no longer being fed. Yeah. Yeah, and if we can really feel this as, you know, momentums that are at play um, rather than kind of, um, you know, something that we, we need to kind of catch, <laughs> yeah, or like a test or like a, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. No. Momentum of change. And that often, you know, yeah, the moment has passed, but the teaching is still here. Yeah? The moment has passed, but the teaching is still here. The teaching of compassion and metta is still here, but also of seeing, oh, what, what happened there? And if I have compassion and metta in that moment, then that allows me to see and it allows me to learn. Yeah, and then that also changes the momentum. It doesn't matter that it's already happened. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. mm. Good. So let's have a quiet moment. So thank you for your listening and your participation. And we have time for some walking practice and then our 8.30 chanting and meditation following on from that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.